church, it's time for the word. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, as you know, Pastor Rick has been preaching to us verse by verse from First Peter. It's been a tremendous blessing. Um, I'm loving it. But today, uh, the Lord put a word on my heart, and I'm, I'm going to deliver it to you, okay? Um, I was... I, you know, I, you know that I have a shepherd's heart and I love the opportunity to preach. Um, it's something that the Lord has, has given me. And, um, so whenever I have the opportunity, I'm excited. I've had like two or three words that the Lord has given me a little bit of that I'm just waiting for the opportunity. So I, pastor asked me about today and I was like, yes, let me go to my desk. Um, but the Lord had other plans as usual, so I'm waiting for those. But um, the Lord spoke so clearly to me. In fact, the past two weeks, the Lord just start, started stirring something in my spirit. And then the past two Sundays, I was like with bated breath thinking, is Pastor going to preach the sermon that I have? Oh, no. But I realized that the Lord is just really personal. And he speaks personally to us. And we can trust that he speaks through our pastor. And he, th- he speaks through us right on purpose, that this is not a word for the church. Maybe it is, but it's a word for this church. Amen? Are you with me on that? Okay. So I'm asking you to lean in this morning and to listen with spirit ears because I, I, I really feel like the Lord wants to speak very clearly. And it's not necessarily where I would naturally go with the word. You know what I mean? So I'm going to ask you to listen with spirit ears, because if you listen just in the natural, I'm not sure what will happen. But if you listen in the spirit, I know that God will speak to us. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, again for worship. We thank you that we serve a living God. We thank you for your word that is true, always true. We thank you that it, it cuts to the bone, Father. It separates, Lord. And I pray that your truth will come out of my mouth. Lord, I thank you that you've spoken to me, and I ask that you just, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you would say to your church. I thank you that you are a personal God, and you speak right to us. So I ask that we will be open to what you have for us today. In your mighty, precious name, amen. Amen. So the Lord just stirred up a word in me. It remind, something happened to me a few weeks ago that just the Lord reminded me of something that I didn't know I forgot. You know how that happens sometimes? Like you didn't mean to forget it. You didn't know you forgot it. But when you're reminded of it, you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's part of who I am. And I believe that the Lord is stirring, stirred me and is stirring our church to move from a place of defense which is a reactive kind of faith, right, to an offense position. You know what I mean? I'm not a sports girl, so I'm not sure what that means in, like, football or anything else. But I know that spiritually, I believe the Lord is moving us from a reactive kind of faith to a proactive kind of faith. You know, victim to victor, attacked to triumphed, wounded to healed. Um, The devil is a liar, And we can see it takes two minutes to watching the news. It takes just a second on Facebook or anything to see that the enemy is after us. He's after our nation. He's after the world. Um, He wants to keep us dull. He wants to keep us wounded. He wants to manipulate our perspective. He wants to um, confuse our identity. He's after our family, our purity, our rest, our calling, our confidence. Right there, like across the board... If it's good and if it's from the Lord, he is after it. You with me on that? All right. So 
Um, so this, so a few weeks ago, I was sitting with some friends of mine. Our kids do karate together, so we sit and talk. They love Jesus. I love Jesus. We have that in common. And one of my friends has a lot on her plate. She has a lot of kids. She's building a new home. She's got a lot of stuff, you know. And she was downloading all the things that she felt like she couldn't do. And it was a lot. And I was kind of encouraging her, like, no, you know, you can do it. And she had this, like, glazed look on her face. I said, what's, what's going on? She's like, I just remember when I was giving birth to my youngest, I thought I was going to die. And all I wanted was for someone to tell me, you're not going to die. And her, her doula next to her was able to say to her, you're not going to die. You're going to have a baby. And she had a baby, and she didn't die, and it was okay. But all she wanted in that moment was just that reassurance. Like, this is going to pass, and you're going to make it, right? And she said, I feel like that now. And we all laughed, and we all encouraged her. You're not going to die. Um, but it hit me, like, big, you know? And we walked out, and we all were joking, like, it's going to be okay. You're not going to die. And if you die, you'll be in eternity. It's okay. And it just kept stirring in me. And I couldn't shake it. And so I came home and I was like, Lord, that was just like funny. You know, like that was lighthearted. You're not going to die. But the Lord reminded me of something that I forgot. He reminded me that I had heard that before. Um, so here we go. Um, about as you, you guys know, you guys know me. I grew up in the church. I grew up in a family that loved Jesus, that modeled Christ. I knew him my whole life. I thankfully did not have to go far to find him and keep him. I'm so grateful for that. That's my testimony. But um, about 16 years ago, I tumbled into the darkest moments of my life. I've shared this a little bit before. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use very careful words because I don't want it to be a trigger for anybody. But um, about 16 years ago, Dan and I were married. I had a beautiful stepdaughter. And all I wanted was to have our own children. And we had two miscarriages. One was early. One was late. Um, and so the later miscarriage was very difficult emotionally and physically. It was it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I tumbled into this place of, God, you gave me what I asked for, but then you took it away. And that's so easy to say, but man, that flattened me. And I tumbled into a place where I couldn't understand how the God that I knew to be true, the God that I knew to be faithful, the God that I knew to be kind, would let that happen to me. And it... it brought me so low. I was so dark. I suddenly, I couldn't think. I couldn't feel anything. I was in the dark, listening for a God who was silent. And I was, it was not good. It was not a good place. And I knew God to be true. I couldn't deny him, right? But I couldn't understand. And I was in church. Gloria, you were there, and Jane was there. And I didn't want to be in church, but I knew that the church was where I should be, right? Never missed a Sunday as a kid. If the church was open, I was there. Even though I didn't understand God and I didn't hear God, and in brutal honesty, I didn't even want to at that point because I thought, how can you speak to me now after this pain? And the songs were, you know, enthusiastically singing, he gives and takes away, he gives and takes away. And I was like, this is so rude. I hate it. Because he did give and he took away from me. And I was not able to see anything but my pain. And 
we were, I was leaving the service, and Gloria and Jane, Jane's in glory now, amen. They asked to pray for me. They knew what was going on, and because I love them, they prayed for me. And I just was, I don't remember the prayer, and I just wanted to go home. And afterwards, Jane slipped a little piece of paper in my hand and looked me square in the eye and said, you're not going to die. And I was like, I know, okay, I know, thank you. And she said it like three times, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. And I went home and I sat on my bed. I remember everything about it. It's a marked day for me. My comforter is white. The sun was shining. And I was so broken. And I was so empty. And God was so silent. And I said, God, it's now or never. Like, I'm on the edge. Like, I can't deny you. And I'm mad that I can't leave you because I know who you are. I was mad at that. And I asked him to speak one more time. Speak to me. I want to tell you that the heavens opened and I heard his voice, but that's not the case. What happened was I turned in my Bible to the reference that Jane sent me to Psalm 118, which is actually the chapter right in the center of the entire Bible. And I was like, didn't even want to look. And I read... I will not die, but live, and I will proclaim what the Lord has done. And I said that probably 2,000 times until something broke in my spirit, and I realized that God was, in fact, speaking to me. And he was telling me, you are not going to die. You're going to live, and you're going to proclaim the goodness of God. And I got up from the bed, and I received from the Lord not I wasn't suddenly okay. My grief wasn't gone. My brokenness wasn't gone. My depression and anxiety were heavy on my shoulders, right? But suddenly I remembered who I was. I remembered who God was. And I remembered that I was not okay, but Jesus is. And God was. And he would be in my life. Amen. And, you know, it it wasn't like... God works in suddenly, that wasn't the case for me. I had to pull myself out. And I want to say for the next three years, I said that psalm every single day. I will not die, but live. Because the Lord was good and saw me on my brokenness and gave me three babies in three years. And then I really wanted to say, am I going to die? But I didn't die, I lived. And I share that because... I want to speak to you this morning who is in maybe a dark place with a silent God. Maybe you're believing for things or things have happened to you that you don't, you know God is sovereign. You know he allows things to happen, but you think, how could you? You love me. You know me. How could you? How could you do that to me? Right? Am I alone in that, in those questions? Wondering, God, where are you? What, what are you doing? What are you doing in my, in my life, in my spirit? I was so, so, so broken. And I wanted to leave God, but I knew who he was, so I couldn't. The title of my message this morning is, I Didn't Hear No Bell, which is a hard line for me to say because my mom's a grammar queen. But if you know the Rocky movies, if you grew up on them like me, you know that this is a line that Rocky's trainer said to him over and over. Rocky's a fighter. The fight's not over. I didn't hear no bell. Get up and fight. Rocky said it himself in Rocky Five. Come on, any Rocky fans? Come on. All right, Rocky Balboa is a down-and-out fighter. He's tender. 
He has a desire to win, to fight, to train, right? He gets a chance of a lifetime. He becomes the heavyweight champion of the world. He suddenly has everything that he wanted. He has money. He has houses. He has a family. He has his trainer. He has support. He has a title. And then in a moment, it comes crashing down. His money's gone. His family's broken. His trainer dies. Um, he, He gets a bad health report. He can't fight anymore. Everything that he had is gone. And he begins to look for something to fill him, some identity, right? He starts training this young street fighter that he kind of sees himself in. He listens to him, the fighter Tommy. Tommy Gunn is a liar. He just wants to use Rocky, right? Rocky believes all the lies. In the end, Tommy challenges him to a fight. Rocky says, outside. They fight. Tommy knocks him out like it's over for Rocky. And then he begins to hear the truth about who he is, right? The voices in his life that tell him. And he gets up and says, I didn't hear no bell. And he wins the fight and goes on to remember what is really important. And that's what we're going to do today. I want to, I'm here to remind you that the bell has not rung. The fight is not over and you're not going to die. You're not going to die. You're going to live and you're going to proclaim the goodness of God. Amen? All right. Come on, Rocky fans? Nobody? I didn't hear no bell. Come on. All right, I'm going to tell you the story of Lazarus. This is a true story from the book of John. John 11, if you want to turn with me. So Jesus is um, nearing the end of his ministry. He has done miracles. People know him. They've seen him. They know who he is. The Pharisees are plotting to kill him. Like it's, it's like a slow roll. They're like, if we find Jesus, we're going to kill him. If we get him, we're going to kill him. Okay? So that's where he is now. He's hiding out right now with his disciples. And then John 11 says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This was Mary and Martha that we talked about last time I preached. Martha fed Jesus and his disciples. She was kind of upset because Mary wasn't helping her. But Jesus said, no, Mary's choosing right. She's sitting at my feet, right? This is the same Mary who um, washed Jesus' feet with her hair and her perfume. Sis- the sisters and Lazarus, their brother, knew Jesus. So they called to him and said, Lord, the one you love is sick. And he heard this and he said, oh, this sickness is not going to end in death. No, it's for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. And they're like, okay. And then the word says Jesus loved Martha. He loved her sister and he loved Lazarus. I think that's important that John noted that. He wanted us to know, like, these were people that were intimate with him. He knew them, and he loved them. And he heard that Lazarus was sick, but he sick, but he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone's sick, when someone's like, it's, it's an emergency, you want the doctor right then, right? You want somebody to show up and meet with it right then. You want Jesus to show up and meet. But he waited. And finally, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea. And they were like, oh, no, 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 we can't go there. They're going to find us if we go there. They want to kill you. And he was like, man, no, I have time for that. And he said, our friend Lazarus is asleep. I'm going to go wake him up. And they were like, well, if he's asleep, he'll be fine. He'll get better. And I feel like Jesus took a sigh right now and said, because the word says he told them plainly. He was like, guys, Lazarus is dead. But I'm going to go and I'm going to wake him up. 
be glad that I wasn't there so you might believe that I can do what I'm about to do. And Thomas, who was like, oh, great, here we go. We're going to die, but let's go. We'll go with Jesus. So they went with Jesus. They went, and they found out that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Lazarus was dead, dead. Like, he wasn't on life support. He wasn't being kept alive. There wasn't a chance that he was just you know, in a, like he was gone. He was dead and gone in the tomb. Four days, three days of after someone's pr- pronounced dead, um, it takes like three days, science and psychology tells us, for our understanding to like kick in, that someone's actually gone. Three days. So Jesus comes when Lazarus has been dead for four. Lazarus is gone. And he comes and Mar- Martha's like, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. I told you. Like, why didn't you come? I, I needed you. And Jesus is like, no, it's okay. Um, your brother will rise again. And Martha's like, yes, I know. Like, at the end, I know he'll rise again. But Jesus says, no, don't you believe? Don't you believe what I say? And she says, yes, I believe you. But she's thinking, but he's still dead. And then Mary, her sister, is so upset, she's, like, not even able to come and see Jesus. But but they tell her, he's here. He's here for you. So she gets up and she runs. And people see her. And they're like, what's going on? Oh, Jesus is here. Let's see what's going to happen. They knew who Jesus was, right? So Jesus comes and Mary falls at his feet and they're all like, what? Why weren't you here? Why didn't you come and show up for us? Lazarus is dead. And Jesus was greatly troubled. He wept, right? That's Jesus wept at the sight of his, the people he loved crying and grieving over someone that he loved. The tra- different translations all say the same thing. Um, a variation of Jesus was greatly troubled. It doesn't say that he was sad. It says that he was almost angry. He was so troubled. He was angry. He was perplexed. He was pondering. And I can only imagine what Jesus was thinking. Like, I got to bring Lazarus back from the throne. I got to bring Lazarus back from heaven now so that you believe that I can do what I say I do. I I can't believe, you know, like I have no idea what was running through his head. I want to ask him, but he was so moved And everyone looking said, see how much Jesus loved him. But they didn't keep him from dying. So so Jesus uh, once more says, okay, take me to Lazarus. Take away the stone. Okay, he's sealed up. Martha's like, he's been dead for four days. Like, we don't want to open this. Like, he's gone. His body is, it's not good. And he says, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Open the stone. And he prays, Father, I know you can do it. I know you'll do it for me. I know you will. But for the sake of everyone around me, show up. Do, be with me on this, God. And then Jesus called out, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in grave clothes, a cloth around his face. Jesus said to his people, the church, take off his grave clothes. He lives. Amen. Lazarus lived. Later on in the chapter, in the next chapter, it shows us that many Jews came and believed that Jesus was who he said he was because of Lazarus. If that hadn't happened, they would not have come to that understanding. So many came to know Jesus because Lazarus was alive. Later in um, chapter 12, it says that Lazarus went back to his life. Like he was fully alive. He wasn't a little bit alive. He didn't have deficits. He was fully alive. He met with Jesus. He reclined at the table with him. Like he was back. 
Thank you, Jesus. So the four, I want to leave you with four words this morning that we learn from Psalm 118, 17, that we learn from the story of Lazarus, all right? I shared that story before of my own deepest, darkest, because I want you to know I have been in that place where it felt like You feel like you can't make it. Maybe you have lost somebody. Maybe you have experienced grief. Maybe you're dealing with mental illness. I have people in my life that I love that are dealing with mental illness. I have a daughter with an autism diagnosis. I understand these things that we don't understand, right? Tragedy strikes. It's hard to understand God. But I want to tell you this morning, not talking about dying and going to eternity of course that is our promise but to tell you today that you're not gonna die from the things you're carrying you're not gonna die from the pain you're not gonna die from the grief god has the final word on that so the first word this morning is survive you're not gonna die amen listen From the beginning, God spoke a better word, right? From the beginning, God fashioned the world with his hands. He fashioned you and I with his breath. You were on purpose. You were created intricately and beautifully by his design. From the beginning, he gave us an opportunity to love him or not, right? And that's when sin entered the world. The world became broken, but that was because he didn't force us to worship him. He's a good God who says, come to me, right? So from the beginning, he knew sin would come. So he had a plan. He sent Jesus as a baby, right? We know the story. Christmas is coming. He sent Jesus as a baby to grow as a man, to do miracles in his name, to die on the cross for our sin so that eternity will be our promise, right? So not, we are not going to die. We're going to, if we know Jesus as our savior, eternity is promised for us. But here in this life, Our sovereign God, who defeated death on the cross, has broken death over our life. 1 John 5.19 says, The world is under the enemy's control. But John 3.8 says, The Son of God came to destroy the work of the enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us who the devil is, right? He is like a roaring lion, searching about who he can devour, right? The enemy is not passive. He's not weak. He does have some authority on earth. But it is limited because the curse of death has... Has been broken. The devil had a plan for Lazarus. His plan was death for Lazarus, sickness and death. But God spoke a better word. The devil's plan was to steal, kill, rob, destroy, right? That's his plan for us. He wants to devour us. He wants to oppress us. He wants to make us dissatisfied. He wants to create an apathetic spirit in us. He wants us to be in debt, in confusion, in poor health, right? Overcome. But Like Lazarus had a death plan, God had a plan too. And the plan was for life, right? It was a different word. It was a better word. And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, when he lives inside of us, our contract with the one who has authority over the world is broken. Death is broken. And our new covenant is with he who has overcome the world. Amen? Do you understand what I'm saying? So 1 Timothy 1 says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. Jude 24 tells us that Jesus will keep us. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 says, my grace is sufficient for you. You are not going to die. And I want to speak very plainly this morning. This is the Holy Spirit again. Listen with Holy Spirit ears. The enemy is a liar and he wants to tell you that your life is not important. He wants you to entertain 
the spirit of suicide, okay? And I want to speak very carefully and plainly to you. I believe that the Lord wants to break the spirit of suicide over someone here today. And I don't think that it's a plan for you. I think that it's something that's become a security blanket for you. The idea that if I wasn't here, it would be better. If I was just gone, this would be better. That is a a straight lie from the enemy. And he wants to break it over your life. Suicide is not for you. So if you, I'm, I'm, very aware of mental illness and and anxiety and depression. I'm thankful for doctors and all of that, but suicide is not your story. So if there is any part of you that has entertained the idea that your life is not worth it, that your life is not here on purpose, that you'd be better without, I believe the Lord is speaking very clearly and saying that is no longer in your mind. That is no longer to be part of your security blanket. Even though you say you're not going to do it or it's not, you know it's not God's plan, it's not even a thought to be entertained, okay? You were created by a God God who fashioned you with his breath and his hands, and he loves you and he knows you. All right? Suicide is not for you. And, and in, that, in that same vein, again, being, being obedient to the Holy Spirit, death is not for you, okay? Like, even the thoughts of death and dying are no longer for you. They're no longer your story. God speaks a better word. You're not going to die. And the idea that anything would be better if you weren't here is a lie from the enemy, and he wants it broken. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah, you're going to survive. You're not going to die. You're going to live. You're going to live. Lazarus didn't just begin to breathe in the tomb. He didn't just blink his eyes a few times. His chest didn't just rise. He got up and he walked out. He walked out and they took his grave clothes off, fully alive. God comes to save us and free us. Amen? Um, I, I was, this was the part that I was listening with bated breath to pastor last week talking about how, when we are the, how great a salvation, when we come to Christ, when, when the curse of death is broken over our life, we are free, free indeed, right? But so many of us hold on to our grave clothes. We forget what free means. It's like prisoners who have been incarcerated for so long that when they're let out, they don't know what to do, right? They don't know. They want to go back. It's when you've been experienced illness your whole life and then you find a, a health plan or a diet or something that works. You're still going to the doctor because you're used to that. You're, what, what happened? I want to tell you this morning, John 10, 9 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundant. Amen? Galatians 2, 20 and 5 says for, it's for freedom that we've been set free. God doesn't save us so that we can squeak into heaven but live a life in the world, right? He doesn't save us and say, keep your grave clothes on. Keep operating in the, in the, what you had before. He saves us to free us. Colossians says, in Christ we're made complete. Dead in sin, we are now alive in Christ. Let's see. First Peter, pastor's there. He's going to get to it in a couple weeks. But 2.9 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Amen? Once you had not received mercy but now you have. Hallelujah. The pastor shared last week, okay, you ha- you're saved, now what do you want to do? Right? 
What do you want to do? He shared he wants to write a book. He wants to record his own music. Those are things we're anticipating. But the Lord wants you to live. He wants you to walk in fullness. Ephesians 4 says, put off our old self. Be renewed in the likeness of God. You know, my son, Jack, is 13. You know, that's a hard age, right? But he, he loves, since he was a little boy, he loves to be cozy. Like, he likes quality socks, like the thick ones all the time, every season. He likes his sweatpants. He likes his Sherpa-lined zip-up hoodie. Like, he outgrew one, and he wanted the same one in a bigger size. He's ready for the next size. It's out of stock. He doesn't know what he's going to do. Like, he loves that hoodie. He likes his blanket. He researched his blanket. He picked it out, got the highest thread count. It's like one of those furry ones, you know. Like, it, he likes to be comfortable. Like, that's his, that's his deal. That blanket, that hoodie, cup of tea, game of chess, I mean, he's happy. But in the summer, he's sweating. But he still wants his hoodie. And we're all summer, like, Jack, take off the hoodie. It's hot out. It's 95 degrees in our house and, like, kind of sticky. And he's got his blanket because he loves to be cozy. And, you know... He's learning. It's fine. I'm hoping next summer he'll will let go of the hoodie forever. But man, the Lord the Lord wants us to live out to leave our grave clothes behind. He doesn't want us to hold on to that hoodie when it's when we're sweating, when we're like st- start to stink, right? Have you ever asked somebody like, "Does this smell bad?" cuz you're not sure cuz you're wearing it, and you're used to it, like you have to ask somebody else. I want to tell you today, it's time to leave the grave clothes behind. It's time to leave bitterness behind. We wear it like a collar, right? We have something in the lining of our pocket. We've let go of the obvious. We don't want people to know we have decay on us, right? We want a new life with Jesus, but we just hold on to just a little bit, just just that little bit of comfort. My son likes to bring his hoodie in the car, even when it's 100 degrees and we're going to the beach, just in case. Man, I want to encourage you. You are not going to die. The curse of death is broken over your life. We don't serve the devil who has control over the earth, but we serve the God who has overcome right and yeah and and why we we spend we spend so much time saying lord help me with this help me with this yet we're the ones holding on to it hiding it under our layers putting it in our back pocket wearing it like a collar man i i heard so I shared this a couple, I think last year, and the statistics are even higher. But I grew up in the church. I grew up with people that loved Jesus, that knew Jesus. There were about 20 kids that I grew up with. All of our parents were in the ministry. We met once a year. We knew each other. Out of those 20 kids, there were three of us that were still actively serving the Lord. I, I knew their life. I knew their story. They were actively not serving the Lord, and three that were actively serving Jesus. And one of my friends, we grew up together. We grew up in similar homes. She had a thriving ministry with her husband. She has children. A couple months ago, I saw she has renounced Christ. She's now an operating She's operating in witchcraft, full witchcraft. She has turned away from the God that I know that she knows to be true. And she's operating in complete witchcraft, completely against the things of God. I can't understand it, but I know that the devil is a liar. And she is wearing her new identity like a, like a 
clothes. And man, they stink. It is so obvious that they are filled with decay, yet that is who, what she's holding on to, right? What, how? It's hard to understand. But the word that God speaks is you're not going to die from the things that the, the, that the enemy wants to put on you. You're going to live and you can have fullness in him. So if I want, I want to just like let the Holy Spirit speak to you. What are you holding on to? Man, church hurt is one of the biggest reasons why people leave church, right? And I understand that. I have been fed by the church, loved by the church. I grew up in the church. I've been hurt by the church. And it was only by the grace of God, by Jesus, that I was healed in the church. The church prayed for me. The church worshiped for me when I couldn't. The church talked down to me, talked bad about me, you know, slapped me in the face. But in the church, that's where I found Jesus, and that's where I found healing. I understand church pain, right? I'm so grateful that God is who our eyes should be looking at, not the world, not the church, because the church is you and I, and we're fully human, right? No matter what, and we will fail each other. But I know that Jesus loves the church. That's where you find him. The next word I want to give you today is testify. Psalm 118, you will not die. You're going to live and live abundant. It's time to take off the grave clothes. It's time to shed the church pain. It's time to shed the idea of what we think somebody should be or what they aren't, right? It's time to let go of bitterness and um, the things of the world. Man, we love to like sneak a little bit of the world into our Christian life, right? Books, movies, TV shows, a drink before bed, a drink with friends. It's not so bad, right? This movie's not that bad. This website's not so bad. This isn't garbage. I'm listening to this. I'm letting them edify me. I'm. This isn't gossip. This is true, right? Like the enemy loves to like twist the truth. You know, the best... I just saw this on a, like, 90s long con movie, right? They're robbing a bank or something. But the best lies are soaked in truth, right? Like, they're mostly true and just a little bit of of the lie. That's how they're believable. Well, the enemy is not a loser. Like, he's not an idiot. He's smart. He knows. He studies us. He sees us. He knows what we'll believe. He pulls out our wounds, right? He pokes them. He stirs up things. I read a book as a young adult that just, like, Loved it. The Frank Peretti books, they're novels, they're about spiritual warfare. It's not a true story, but man, it could be right here. New Life Haverhill Church, right? And it talks about, it gives a beautiful picture that has, has served me well about how heaven's angels are on assignment, but they need the power of our prayer. They need our cooperation to move on our behalf. It gave me a picture of how the, the demons are actively searching for a way to, to sway us, to get us, to push us down, right? One image that I have that I know to be true in my life was of a demon stir, he couldn't influence the dream of the woman in the book, but he could stir them and slant them just a little bit, right? So it wasn't, the dreams were not bad, but he was putting a slant on it that made her think that, you know, she was going to die. She wasn't going to make it. She was going to get sick. She, you know, every, all these things, right? He just slanted it a little. And I'm so aware of that in my, in my own life. Whew, the next word is testify. I won't, you're not going to die. You're going to live and proclaim the goodness of God. John 12 tells us that Lazarus went on with his life. He was dead. God called him back to life. The church helped him take his clo- grave clothes off. He got new, fresh clothes. And he hung out with Jesus still. And because of that, many, many believed. Earlier in John, it talks about the woman at the well. Do you know that story? The woman who was sitting there, who um, Jesus sat down next to her and read her mail. 
herself. He knew everything about her. And because he knew things that only she would know, her secret sin, she knew that he was the Messiah. And she immediately left her jug out the well and went back to her people and said, you have to come with me. Listen to what he told me. He is who he says he is, right? John 9 says one about the blind man who Jesus spat in mud and made a paste and gave it to the man and said, put this on your eyes, go home and wash it off. So the man did, and he could see. And everyone was pressing him like, who did that? What, who healed you? What happened? He was like, I don't know. All I know is I was blind, and now I can see. That was his testimony, right? Acts 4 tells us that the church, the leaders were telling Peter, stop talking about Jesus. Stop talking about this. Like, you need to... And Peter says, we can't help it. How can we help what we know to be true? Revelation 12, 11 says, We overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen? So all through the Psalms, uh, Psalm 107, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Right? I will speak loudly about what the Lord has done on my behalf. Um, we testify to for the glory of God, to tell people what Jesus has done, right? And we testify to remind our own hearts. Man, in in my life, you guys probably know by now, but we have a tradition every year on birthdays, we tell our kids the story of when they were born. And I mean, it has every detail. Might become a little embellished as the years go on. I'm not sure. But we tell them because it, it, it is a testimony of what God has done in my life. You heard how broken I was. Of course I want to remind them that God answered my prayer and gave me you. He gave you to Daddy and I. Daddy prayed for you and we named your middle name Victory. Like we, we tell them the details of their life because we want to testify to the goodness of God, but also to remind them that they have value, that God spoke a better word over them, right? That death was not their story, that um, illness was not their story, that they had a purpose and a plan. And we do that to remind our hearts, and uh, we can do that too. First Peter 3 tells us to be ready to give an account for the hope that we have. And I love this next part. It says, do it in love and respect. Man, I have a couple people in, in like my circles. I, I don't know where they are with the Lord, but when they see me coming, it's like they're amped up with, with questions. Like they just want to so, do you believe, blah, blah, blah. like, they want to trap me, you know, in, like, what I believe. They want to kind of, like, well, you're a Christian, right? Well, what do you think about this? And it's, like, big controversy. It really has nothing to do with Jesus Christ and the love of God or any, or the gospel at all. But it's, like, that, and, I, you know, I, I laugh them off, but I often remember this scripture that says, be ready to give an account of what I believe, but do it in love and respect. So I don't, I don't engage in that baiting. Um, because that will not bring glory to God. You know what I mean? All right. So growing up, I um, love Teen Challenge. is a drug and rehab recovery center. Everyone's familiar. They come here about once a year. Growing up, I think that they came to church a lot more than that. And I loved those Sundays because we were going to have food after, and they sang in a choir, and I love those songs. I sing them still today, but... The best part was the testimony time because I knew without a doubt that those men would come up and say, I was addicted. I was involved in a life-controlling situation, but God, right? And everybody was cheer. And for everyone, every testimony that said, and God took away the desire to do drugs and I never went back. There was somebody that was would say, and I want to do drugs every day, but God has kept me, right? The testimony was encouraging. It was empowering. I loved it. You guys know Thanksgiving Eve service is one of my favorites because I'm 
every year I am blown away by you who I know your stories. I know what you're walking through, what you're carrying. And without fail, every service, there's a line of people that want to go up to the microphone and testify about the goodness of God. I love it. I'm, I'm humbled by it. It's a blessing. Um, just like Teen Challenge guys had like a, a way to give their short testimony, I learned in uh, teen class, like in, in my teenage years at church, the formula for how to give your testimony, you know? And yesterday I was riding my bike with Ella up there uh, in the parking lot. We were riding slow, like talking, and I was thinking about today, and I was thinking about this point, testimonies, testifying, and I thought, I'm going to teach Ella this formula. So I said, hey, Ella, if someone asked you your testimony, what would you say? And we have not really talked about that before. Everybody she knows loves Jesus. So, you know, this is kind of like, it was like a hypothetic for her. I'm not kidding you. Without missing a beat, she stopped her bike and said, well, I would say that everybody I know loves Jesus. So I wanted to love Jesus, too. But it wasn't until I started opening my Bible and reading for myself that I met the Holy Spirit. And I'm really glad I did. And I was like, because I realized that without even knowing, without even understanding, Ella is 12. She's in a very sweet spot right now where she is protected. You know, she loves Jesus. She knows Jesus is good. Everybody she knows loves Jesus. But yet still, I have seen such a change in our kids in the past two or three years that for on no no account of us, I mean, we bring our kids to church, we teach them the word, right? But in spite of, of us, they have found Jesus, and they have a personal relationship with him. So I wasn't able to, yeah, amen. I wasn't able to give her my formula, but she got it, because she knew, she knows who Jesus is. So I want to encourage you, the fourth point last Sunday, how great a salvation pastor preached, is now you have a voice. Now you have something to say. So, man, maybe you're like, yes, my testimony, I got that down. I talk about it. I share it wherever I, wherever I go. Your testimony is something true. Your testimony is what happened to you, what you experienced, right? Your testimony is, before Jesus, my life was, then Jesus came, and now, right, I'm living in freedom. My testimony would be, I grew up and I had everything that I needed. All my earthly needs were met. I had love. I had family. I had all the good things. But I knew that spiritually, I was living on a secondhand story. So I had to find Jesus for myself, and I'm so glad I did. My testimony is what I shared earlier, right? A part of it. I was broken. I was wondering where God was, and he met me and found me. And now I have faith, and I'm living in freedom. Now I'm, I'm whole. Now, even when I'm not okay, I have confidence that God is. You know, those moments where I was so broken, and I was wondering where God was, I began to read the word out loud and say, Okay, Lord, your word says, just like David, I'm not going to die from this. I'm going to live, and I will proclaim the goodness of God that I can't see. And he began to speak a different word over me. Up until that point, I knew the Lord as father, as friend, as savior of the world, but it wasn't, he wasn't mine, you know, he wasn't my savior, he wasn't my leader, and he began to speak a different word over me, he began to call me war, a warrior, he began to put a sword in my hand, all the things that I had read about and knew about suddenly became mine, the armor of God suddenly fit me. It was made for me. God made it and tailored it and fashioned it for me, right? I was able, I can testify to that. I lived through it. I know it to be true. And God did it for me. So what can he do 
for you. I want to encourage you this morning to write, take a moment, take some days today, write down your testimony, write it down. I was lost, I was addicted, I was broken, I was searching, I was fine, but I didn't know Jesus. Whatever it is, right? It could be five pages, and then I would encourage you to squeeze it down into 30 seconds. Next time you see someone in the grocery store with, I don't know, a sweatshirt of the college you went to, you can say, hey, I went to that school too. You know what? When I was there, I was a mess, but Jesus, right? Someone's looking at the same flavor ice cream that you get. Hey, I love that ice cream. You know what? God met me, blah, 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 right? Whatever it is, I want to encourage you to testify about the goodness of God. Proclaim the glory of God. Are you in for that? Come on important. Somebody told you, right? Someone told my parents. We know it was Lenny. Someone told Lenny about Jesus. And Lenny told my dad. And you know, if he hadn't done that, both of my parents had experienced the Lord. They knew who God was. They knew there was something bigger out there. But nobody told them, God changed my life. And he can, it wasn't until they told them, God changed my life and he could change yours. And now, because of that, I'm so grateful for the life that I have. Would I have found the Lord? Maybe, but it would have taken a lot longer. If my parents hadn't had me in church every single Sunday, even when I was missing things, would I have found my way back to the church? Sure, but it would have taken me longer. I know that to be true. If 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 my parents hadn't protected me from things, right? would I have found Jesus? Would I have made it here? I believe that I would have, but it would have been the long way, the not good way, the dark way. And I'm so glad that because of that foundation in my darkest moments, I was able to say, I don't hear you and I don't see you, but I'm going to trust you. The last word this morning is fight. You guys know I like fight. I like contending. I like fighting in our faith. We're going to turn to Ephesians. You can turn with me. I see one of my daughters put a bookmark in there. Okay, Ephesians 6. I'm going to read the whole thing. All right, read along. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand... Stand firm again with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That's your testimony. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith by which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And again, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert. Keep on praying for the Lord's people. He goes on to say, pray also for me. 
Whenever I speak, words may be given to me. Pray that I declare the word fearlessly as I should. We know that we are living that we are living in a spiritual warfare. We know that the enemy is a liar, that he's a thief, that he is like a lion, but he's not the lion. He's imitating, you know who? The lion of Judah that's coming back. Amen. He can only act like him. Man, my niece Scarlett's two and a half. She's tiny, she's sweet. She's spicy. When she doesn't get what she wants, she stomps her little foot and says, no, Poppy, no, Auntie Stacy. And she's so ferocious. And I just think, man, that's like the enemy, right? He wants to be so ferocious. And he has power. We know that. I don't want to diminish what he does in our life, what he messes with. But when it all comes down, his roar is empty. He is not the lion. He wants to be, but it's not. It's not it. He is not the authority. First Timothy 6, 12 says, fight the good fight. James 1, 3, and 12 says it's by the testing of our faith that produces perseverance, right? Blessed is he who stands. Remember your enemy but by studying the word, right? Come on. Study the word of God. People ask me all the time. I shared last time. If your devotional in the morning is more of somebody else's thoughts and less of the word, switch. Take a break and study the word of God. It's our sword. Pray with boldness. Romans 8 reminds us that if God is for us, who can be against us, right? We know that our battle is not against flesh and blood, so why should we even try? Why should we even fight in the natural? It's fruitless. It's It's nothing, right? But we fight knowing the victory is already ours. We fight knowing that the battle is won. Hallelujah. Isaiah 59, 19. Man, this is this is where I wanted to preach from. I still do one of these days, but I I feel grateful that the Lord snuck it in here. Because it's in my spirit. Isaiah 59, 19 says, When the enemy comes in like a flood... The Lord will raise up a standard against him. All right? A standard is a flag. A standard is our, is our, our banner. A, a standard reminds us, tells us who we, who we are, who we fight for. It's our team, right? We, you see flags, flags out front. We have the American flag. We have the Christian flag because we stand for God and we stand for our country, right? Our standard is our values, our allegiance. So I want to ask you this morning, as you move from a place of defense, which is reacting, which is getting back up weak and tired, which is covering your face, right, from the blows of the enemy, as you turn from defense to offense, where you're proactively saying, no, no, my heart belongs to Jesus. No, no, my mind is the Lord's. No, death is not for me. Suicide is not a thought to be entertained. I do have value. I am here for a purpose, right? I'm a royal priesthood. I'm chosen. The Psalms tell us, one of my favorites, that the Lord formed us in our mother's womb. He knew us before we were born, every bit of us. Before, from conception, he created us and knew us and breathed his life in us. So when the enemy tries to tell it, hold us down and tell us, we come back with the word, right? That's true. Will you lift up a standard with the Lord? Will you be his standard bearer and say, I will stand for holiness. I will lift up a standard of righteousness of prayer, of praise. I will stand for my family. I will stand for my marriage. I will stand for the dreams and the desires that the Lord has given me. My marriage will prosper. My job will not fail, right? 
My children will come back to Jesus. I will understand my grief. I know that you're with me in my grief. I don't get it, but I know that you're good, right? Will you do that, church? Because a standard bearer is not, is not bound in fear. A standard bearer is not weak. It's not, he's not rebellious or undisciplined or floundering or, or nursing his wounds. He's not, um, he's, he's not dissatisfied, right? He is dissatisfied. A standard bearer will be courageous and strong and passionate and yielded and submitted to the Father. A standard bearer will be repentant as we move from a place of knowing, man, I'm not going to die. God has a plan and a purpose for my life. I'm going to live. We know that we can stand passionate and hungry and bold for the Lord. We can stand faithful and committed because I'm here to tell you this morning, I didn't hear no bell. The trumpet hasn't sounded. The fight is not over. You are not down and out. It is not. One of my least favorite things is when people say, that's just the way it is. I hate it. Because you know what? That is not what God says. That is not. If we all believe that, we wouldn't be here today. Right? We wouldn't. There is always opportunity to grow. There is always opportunity to change. There is always the opportunity to shed our grave clothes, the old things, and turn to the Lord who says with confidence, you are not going to die. It's not going to be too much for you. I have overcome the world. It might be heavy. It might be hard. It might be difficult to understand. But I am the Lord who stands beside you. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, I raise up a standard. I will fight for you. It is time, church, to turn away from the thoughts that you, this is all there is. This is all, this is all I'll ever be. This is, this is just, I have to accept it and turn instead to victory. I, I'm thinking of Rocky who got up bloody and bleeding and hurting and said, I didn't hear no bell. I'll fight you again. I'm thinking of William Wallace in Braveheart who says victory in the face of the enemy, right? I'm thinking of some old movie that I saw where the guys are there and he says, this is the army now. And I want to encourage you and invite you church to stand in a place of strength and say, yes, sir, I might be bleeding and broken, but I have armor that was fashioned for me. I have armor that fits me just right. This is not a generic one size fits all armor. This is an armor that the Lord gives you. Your sword is your word. You have to use it. And we have to say, if my God is for me, who can be against me? Yes, sir. I'm in the army now. I'm in the fight now. I didn't hear a bell and I'm not going to die. I'm going to live. I'm going to testify to the goodness of God. I'm going to believe for my children. I'm going to believe for my family. I'm going to believe for my healing. I'm going to believe, right? Listen, it's not going to be easy. There's no promise of that. The promise is that we have a God who fights for us and with us. The promise is that we have what we need. We have what we need to protect us, to cover our mind, to cover our heart. We have what we need to lift ourselves up, to brush off the old, to turn away from an old lifestyle, to say, yes, sir, I didn't hear no bell. I'm in the fight. I'm still in the fight. I don't know what you're going home to. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what you're grieving. I don't know what difficulties you have, but I get it. I'm there. And it is okay to say, I am not good. I'm not okay right now. But I know who my general is. I know who my leader is. I know who my God is. And I know that I have what I need. Because he speaks a better word that is so clearly and so powerfully. Listen, take this. Someone gave this to me. Take it for yourself. You are not going to die. I'm not going to die. You are not going to die from this. 
When you die, it will be according to God's perfect plan who holds life and death in his hands. You are going to live and live abundant. It's not his desire to struggle, for us to struggle, for her, us to wonder, for us to live halfway, right? He wants us to live in fullness and abundance. And you will testify to the goodness of God. I, I, I hope next week you come and tell me, man, I got to share my testimony with three people this week. I don't care if they already know Jesus or not. I don't care if you ever see the fruit of that or not. Testify about what God has done or what God will do because you are here because somebody told you. You are here because before Christ, you were broken. Before Christ, you were in darkness. Before Christ, you were empty. But because of Jesus on the cross, because of his blood, you have life and life abundant. Yes, sir, right? Amen. Amen. So I want to pray for you. We're going to put some music on. Man, Sundays go real fast when Pastor Rick's not here. What's, what's that about? But I want to just, um, I want to pray for you. I want to open up the altars and then say a prayer. But I want to be, I want to really, 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 I feel just so strongly, again, not to belabor anything, but to say, if you're here this morning and you are carrying grief and you, you don't understand, you can't get past it. Like, I, I, I get it, right? I get it. The Lord, the word says that he holds our tears in a bottle, which means that he is with us in our grief. I want to speak to you who is sitting in the dark, who's like, God, you, I know that you're there. I know that you're there, but you're quiet. You're silent. I'm speaking to you, okay? I'm speaking to you who says, Jesus, I love you. I give you my life. But you're holding on to the old ways just in case, right? You're holding on to the old way of thinking just in case. You're holding on to wounds because they're comfortable. Because if you leave them, then what? Right? I'm speaking to you who has, you are, you know that you have just lost the fight. You're not dead. You're not gone. You're not out, but you're not fighting back. And I want to breathe, I want the Lord to breathe life over you to encourage you. It might seem like you're all alone. It might seem like your prayers are not being answered. It might seem like you are fighting for the same things over and over. Listen, if that's you, I want to encourage you to, to turn, move into a place of repentance. You know, sometimes when we, when we know Jesus for a long time, we, we, we know that we're not actively sinning, but we don't realize that we are holding on to sins that we need to give to the Lord. So I want to invite you to a place of repentance. Lord, if there's anything in me, I repent. Take it away. Take it out of my pocket. Take it off my back. I don't want it. I want, I want you, right? If there's unforgiveness in your life, in your heart, listen, it's hard to forgive people when, you, when the pain is so big, right? It's, easy, it's hard. It's hard to forgive. But the Lord says that unforgiveness is like a poison. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you are holding on to unforgiveness, if you just have something like it's so big and you don't even realize that that's what's keeping you from the fullness of God, I want to encourage you to just let it go this morning. Maybe you're, maybe you're even mad at yourself and you can't even forgive yourself because you think if only I did this or if only I did that, this would be different. And I want to encourage you to stop believing the lies. Some of us have lies built into our our identity that go back to our childhood. It's hard to root them out. We've, We've come to believe them as true. But I want to encourage you, if you feel like you're battling the same thing over and over, if you're just like dealing with the same struggle over and over, I want to encourage you to say, Lord, what am I believing that's not true? 
Speak a better word over my life. Speak a better word over my mind. Thank you, Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, church, and then you're free to come to the altar and seek the Lord or, or go on. But please, let's, let's remember, I, didn't, I haven't heard a bell, have you? The fight is not over. You're not out. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. You're going to live. You're going to testify. You're going to fight another day. Father, we love you so much. I thank you, Lord, for your word that speaks so clearly to us. I thank you, Lord, that you see us in our broken, darkest place, and you love us the same. I thank you, Father, that when we don't hear you and when we don't see you, you are still sovereign. You are still moving. You are still good. I thank you, Father, that when things don't work out the way we want, when we feel like you have forgotten us, Lord, you show up. You move on our behalf. So I pray right now for the broken hearts. I pray right now for those that are holding on to grief, that can't understand the way things turned out the way they did. They can't understand why you would give and take away, Father. I pray that you will begin to breathe life over them. Remind them that they, you are the authority over death, and you are, they are not going to die because of the devil's plan. I thank you, Father, for the will, the the will to live. I thank you, Father, for the freedom that you offer us as your sons and daughters. So this morning, I speak to the sons and daughters of the King. I speak to sons and daughters of the of the victorious King, that they may rise as befitting that son and daughter. I pray that they will begin to walk in their new mantle, Father, that they will put on armor that was fashioned just for them, Lord. I pray that we will begin to walk as a royal priest, as noble, as co-heirs with Christ, Lord. I pray, Father, that as we begin to move from defense into a proactive faith, we will say, no matter what it looks like, I'm not going to die because I serve he who has overcome the world. I pray, Lord, that we will begin to live in fullness, that we will begin to see, open our eyes to what you have for us, that we won't be holding on to our stinking grave clothes, Lord, but we will begin to walk in the fullness of life. I thank you, Lord, that by the blood of of the Lamb, Jesus, and the word of our testimony, we overcome the enemy. So I pray right now, Father, for testimonies to arise. I thank you that because of our salvation, we have a voice. And I pray that we will have the confidence and the boldness and the clarity to see what what you have done and what you're going to do, that we may testify to remind others of your glory, to remind our own hearts of what you've done in our life, Lord. And I pray for the fight to return to my brothers and sisters. I thank you, Lord, that our our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not with each other, Lord, but it is against in the spirit world. So I thank you, Father, that you are the God who moves in victory. But I pray right now, Father, for the will to fight to return. I pray for that will to lift us up, Father, to encourage us that we may stand and stand firm, Lord. I thank you again for the armor that is designed for my friends. And I pray very specifically, Father, in the name of Jesus, by your blood, by the authority that I have as your daughter, I pray against the spirit of suicide, the spirit of death, the spirit of depression in the name of Jesus. I break that. I ask it to go in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, that you are, the, you are the God who fashioned us with your hands and your breath, that you knew us before we were born. So I pray for life to replace that spirit in the name of Jesus. I pray for wholeness in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. And I thank you, Lord, for the confidence to say, yes, sir, no matter what it is. In your mighty, precious name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. 
Amen, church. I'm going to come down here. Pastor will be back next week. Amen. Amen.